but we're we're continuing and and I I hope as we start to go through this we're going to start jumping a little bit more and and that'll require you to read some on your own and that's okay because I, I I firmly believe that God when when Jesus taught us how to pray and he said give us this day our daily bread it, it wasn't about a handout because you can we can give you bread but you still have to pick it up and eat it and you know the the same thing you know right now we're it's not a crash diet but we're we're trying to clean up our eating before we go on our our anniversary cruise so that maybe we can feel a little better about the shape of our bodies and have a little more energy and I, I jokingly tell myself every time I go to eat what's next on the plan is that I get to eat that because if I say I have to eat that, it makes it worse because there's things on that plan that I'm not a tomato eater. Okay, the, the tomato in its natural form is not my food, not even close. And I'm choking down cherry tomatoes for the sake of this meal plan because I get to eat them. I get to break my routine. I get to eat them. I get to say no to the little Debbie. Okay, see how much better that sounds, right? So, so coming back to where we're at, we get to start jumping around a little bit in Scripture because today we're looking at the story of Isaac. Okay, we, we've been on Abraham for a while, and, and we're not abandoning Abraham but we, we just kind of skip over the chapter where Sarah dies, okay? And, and that's not because I'm afraid of death or I don't want to talk about it. Uh, it's, it's just more building into Abraham's story. If you want it in a nutshell, I'll give you all of that chapter 23 right here, that Abraham was so highly favored by his neighbors that they were willing to give up land for him to have a burial place. And Abraham was still true to who he said he was, that none of you are going to be able to say that you gave me anything. And he pays fair market value for a place to bury his wife. Okay, that's it in a nutshell. Nothing super spiritual there. Okay, but we, we have to understand this is a narrative along with the the spiritual importance that we put on things and maybe i'm wrong maybe i'll go back and read that one of these days and god will open it up in a new way but for right now sarah died and abraham paid fair market value for a place to bury his wife and to have a burial place for his ancestors so you could you could go where they believe she's buried they can still find it geographically all right so we're going to jump into the life of Isaac. And I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about when Abraham dies either. But we're, we're going to look and we're going to have to move very quickly because we're going to cover two chapters. And we're going to skip a chapter. Okay, We're not going to talk about when Jacob and Esau are born because that's more of Jacob's story than it is Isaac's. Okay, And if you've read this narrative before, you can look at it. And that's a very fair assessment. It's more about Jacob than it is about 
Isaac. And it's going to be a really, really cool Mother's Day message. So, previews are over. Time for the movie. Genesis chapter 24. Now, Abraham was old. Okay, I've been reading this story for a while. He's been old for a while. Okay, but we're going to go ahead and identify him as old. Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, and, and this is just personal opinion interjected here, I think this is Eleazar, that he said was going to be the servant who was going to inherit everything because he had seniority then, unless Eleazar died and we just don't get to know. I'm going to say it's Eleazar in my mind, but we're just going to reference him as his servant. The oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. If, if we're going to pull something very, very point specific out of that passage of scripture is that you need to be like Abraham to the point where you trust God so much that you are unwilling under any circumstance to let your children go back to where you came from. He didn't want his son to go back to the land that he came from. Because what's back there? Yes, his family that he came from is back there, but what else is back there? the gods he was called out from to not serve, the lifestyle that he could have grown up in, the comforts and, and all the pleasures of the world were found there. The false ideologies, the false teachings, all of the things that God had called Abraham out from and separated him and promised to make him special were back there. Think about your own life. I don't want my kids going back to my sins. I don't want them to revisit the ignorance and foolishness of my youth because I know what's back there. I know what the wages of that lifestyle are. And under no circumstance do I want a servant of my house to lead them back there. Now, to give you a little bit of this concept of why put your hand under his thigh. Okay, this is it's a little gross, but it's, it's okay. 
the the fact that he did this meant he had to kneel down which was showing the superiority of the seated person in the party the other thing is reaching up under the thigh of the man. This wasn't like he was right up near the kneecap. This was more mid-thigh to groin area. This was a symbol in Middle, Middle Eastern culture that if I fail to fulfill this oath, you have the right to take my manhood. You don't make a promise like that lightly as a man. This servant was in it to win it. Okay, but... This was an easier oath for him because he had a way out. If the woman refused to come back, he's free. He's free from it. He comes back and says, sorry, I tried. Then the servant took 10 of his camels. This is an important number for us, not numerology. Okay, I'm not one of those weirdos. But 10 camels, you got to understand, that's a lot of horsepower. Okay, and and departed taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master and then he arose and went to mesopotamia i looked up the hebrew word for that it's really cool it's a rom something something and it means exactly what mesopotamia means except it's a rom between the two rivers which is mesopotamia was the land between two rivers in aramaic and Aram, anyway we'll, we'll just quit chasing that rabbit and, and he went to the city of Nahor. Who was Nahor? If we remember back, we tie it all back. Nahor was relative Abraham. Okay? He makes the camel kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women would go out to draw the water. Okay, this is, this is not... Okay, well, this is not political. This is not agenda-based at all, okay? The women went to draw the water. That was what they did, okay? And, and get this in your mind. Most of them took a large pot that would hold somewhere between 2 and 10 gallons, okay? I was going to be really fun today, and I was going to bring some gallons of water and, and have the younger women in the room like Kate and, and the newbie girls come and, and hold these large gallons of water either on their shoulder or on their head and see how comfortable and fun that is because it really matters to the story. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham. I love this. This guy does not necessarily believe in Yahweh, Jehovah, you know, any of the, the names that we have for God at this point. But this is how he references him. He says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham. You want to you see something just beautiful right here in the story that we live in a world full of people who don't know who God is, but they do know how to pray to him. I'll let that hang just a minute. We got a world full of people that will acknowledge God without knowing who he is and they know how to pray to him and God loves enough that he'll answer prayers of people who don't even believe in him grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham boy that'll blow some doctrine out of the water for people that they don't feel like they should ever pray for victory just pray and leave the results in God's hands that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard us say as Christians Yes, if God doesn't choose to give you victory, then he's still blessed and high and on the throne. But it's not a sin for you to ask God for victory. 
Every time we go to play a contest in sports, when we're praying, we pray the Lord's Prayer together, and then I pray right after, God, give us victory. Sometimes it's on the scoreboard. Sometimes it's in how we played the game. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master." One of the things that makes this prayer so powerful is that he wasn't just praying for himself. He was praying for the leadership over him. One of the things I think we neglect to do so often as, as the church is to pray for those that are in leadership over us. Not just in church leadership, but in the world. Because most of the time there's all of us work for somebody. If you don't, you're Willie Nelson and you're 80000 in tax debt and you're going to have to rescue your burning guitar from a house with a pound of weed or whatever he saved that day. Anyways, another rabbit. But It's okay to really recenter your prayer life a little bit. And we're going to learn that from a guy that doesn't even believe in God. And before he had finished speaking, I love how God has already got this plan rolling. Behold, Rebecca, or Rivka, if you want the Hebrew name, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Okay, Kate, are you getting this in your mind? We were going to get you flexing up. Okay, water jar on her shoulder. And the young woman was very attractive in appearance. All, another reason I'm going to have our girls up here, we got pretty girls. And the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden who had never a man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. I want you to understand, this is not a puddle of water on the ground. Okay, The wells of ancient times were often dug down like cisterns, or in this case, they dug down till they found a spring. And when it says to go down in Hebrew, it is talking about physically walking down there. I don't know if they had a ladder or if they had steps carved into it, but she had to go down into the ground to the spring to get the water. Okay, and, and let's be fair and let's say it wasn't a super big jar, two-gallon jar. Okay, two gallons. If you want this, this will be the Old Testament workout of the week get you a, a gallon in each hand and go up and down a couple flights of stairs. Okay, not such a bad workout until the rest of the story comes in. Then the servant ran to meet her. There's a lot of running in this too. These Old Testament people are not my people. The servant ran to her and said, please give me a little water to drink from her jar. And she said, drink my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar and let down the jar upon her hand, and she gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Okay, this, that's a very important line that I have skipped over for a long time. How many camels are there? Ten. Okay, how much does a camel who has crossed the desert, how much can it drink in one sitting? I had to look this up. 
One camel can drink 30 gallons of water in three minutes. Okay? Now, now get this, get this. She quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well. So these camels aren't right next to the well. She's running back and forth. Okay? <clears throat> Two gallons into 30. That's 15 trips per camel. Ten of them. That's 150 trips to the well. You want to work out, ladies? <laughs> I ain't doing it. <laughs> this was a woman's workout. This ain't even sexist. That's a woman's workout right there. This, I, I'm thinking if this servant is watching her going and doing this, he is like, wow, what a woman. The man gazed at her in silence. I'm going to be in silence too. But listen to what it phrases here. To learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Because guess what? If she only partially waters his camels, she's not it. She's not what he said. And, and he knew enough about the God of Abraham to know that if the God of Abraham answered part one, she'll offer me a drink, then the God of Abraham has never failed to finish anything he's promised my master because he promised my master a son and look, in his old age, he had Isaac. That, that's another reason I think this was Eleazar. He got to see the whole thing. And he's watching this girl to see if she waters his camels all the way through. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty, both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Guys, she kind of lost it. <laughs> she just took off. And, and we'll get to the, the rest of the story about that gold ring here in a minute. It's not what you think. <laughs> okay? Uh, oh, it took me a minute. But Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Man, that guy's going to come up again later. Spoiler alert. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring and as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah his sister thus the man spoke to me he went to the man and behold he was standing by the camels at the spring and he said come in blessed of the Lord why do you stand outside for I have prepared the house and a place for the camels so the man came to the house unharnessed the camels camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him 
the, the thing about this family that consistently shows up is their generosity and their hospitality. These are Abraham's people. And only God could write this story. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And he said, which is Laban said, speak on. Now I want you to understand that if Laban is doing all of this speaking, Laban's father has passed away. Abraham's brother has passed away because Laban is now acting as the man of the house, which completely true to custom of the day. So the servant said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. He tells him the whole story. Just straight up tells him the story. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. But if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came to the day, today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if you are now prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, Behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down into the spring and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose, and the bracelets on her arms. And then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said the thing has come from the lord we cannot speak to you bad or good behold rebecca is before you take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the lord has spoken when abraham's servant heard their words he bowed himself to the earth before the lord the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to rebecca he also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments and he said to the men who were with him, ate and drank, 
And they spent the night there. And when they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. And her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. It's no accident that he phrases it that way because he's already proven to them that God prospered his way. And the people of Mesopotamia didn't necessarily believe in his God, but they did not want to offend a God. So he's putting the choice out there of, if you delay me, you might offend the God that I serve. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And I read that and, and I looked at Rebecca for just a moment. And I thought, you know, what, what a perfect companion for Isaac. And, and what a woman to understand destiny when she saw it standing in front of her. She didn't hesitate at all. And I'm not saying that her life was bad. She lived, you know, in the, the city of Nahor. Her grandfather or her father's city. The whole city is hers. She's wealthy. She's of influence. She has all these things. But that's not who she portrays herself to be. She's humble and a servant and a woman who recognizes God's destiny when he lays it out in front of her. So they sent Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. We don't talk like that anymore. You know, when, when, we, when we give our daughters away at weddings, I, I think we oftentimes fail to just really speak blessing over them and, and to, to start them off in their marriage in a very powerful way. You know, this is, this is a powerful prophetic way to speak over, and, and this was his sister, but he was the head of household. You know, fathers in the room, take note. Speak this kind of blessing over your daughter on her wedding day. Because were they going to the wedding? No, I wasn't accustomed. The bride goes and she's going to get married. But what a blessing. May you become thousands of ten thousands. And may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Now, I, we're going to jump a little bit here. That's where I told you we're going to start jumping. Now, Isaac had returned from Bir Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negev. Okay, he's living in the desert. And he went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And then he lifted up his eyes, and behold, there were camels coming. Okay, that, that phrase, and he lifted up his eyes, is the exact phrasing that's used when his father looks up and sees a ram caught in the thicket. That's a free sidebar. Because Rebecca is also the next line, and Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And the, the correlation there is just mind-boggling, is that these two young-to-be married people are under the guidance of God, lifting up their eyes to see the blessing God has put in front of them. If that doesn't get you a little bit, you know, you people that like weddings, there it is. Get your eyes all, woo. 
And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took the veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her, for Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, for the cultural side of that, really quickly, it was his mother's tent and not his father's because Abraham has not yet passed away. He will not inherit the tent of his father until his father dies. But his mother's tent, because she had her own tent, was available. And he now, in a very easy-to-see way, left the comforting thoughts and images of his mother and cleaved to his bride. Chapter 26, and I look at the clock and I'm like, yeah, we're really going to summarize a lot of stuff here. Okay, this whole chapter is the mirror imaging of Abraham's life being fulfilled through Isaac. Okay, and, and you can go back through and read and pick a lot of the stuff out. I cheated and just summarized. So there was a famine in the land. Also takes place in Abraham's life. And besides the former days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt, dwell in the land that I'll tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you. I will bless you for you and to your offspring. I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and give to your offspring all these lands and your offspring, the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Okay, this is after the death of Abraham. God reaffirms his covenant to Isaac. Okay, verses 6 through 11 is how Isaac is going to go in and deal with Abimelech. He's going to deal with Abimelech almost exactly how Abraham did it. He's going to go in and he's going to say, you... Say to Rebekah, don't say that you're my wife. Say that you're my sister. This is not a great plan when you're newlyweds. It's not a great plan anyways, but they're newlyweds. And Abimelech is not necessarily the same Abimelech that dealt with Moses, or not Moses, but Abraham. It could be a common thing was when you pass down kingship, you pass down your name. We don't really know here. But they probably told the story of, man, you know that warlord over there, Abraham, this is what that turkey tried to pull on us. Well, Abimelech doesn't just, you know, start welcoming Rebekah into his house. He says, well, you can kind of hang out over here. And he's observing, and he realizes that, that a brother should not touch his sister like that. They, they definitely should not kiss like that. The, the, the term is caress, which <laughs> anyway, it, it's like Abimelech calls and says, why have you lied to me? He said, you can journey here in this land, but he doesn't give them any wealth. He doesn't give them any notoriety. He just says, you can stay here. You can graze your flocks. You can plant fields. But why would you try to lie to me? The next verses, 12 through 15, we get to see another thing that happened in the life of Abraham. 
Isaac is so blessed. The first crop that he plants brings a hundredfold harvest. I, I'm not enough of a farmer to know, but I know when you when you make over 100% profit, that, that's, that's business right there. So he keeps getting blessed just like Abraham where he gets more flocks, more animals, more servants. And it comes to the point that the, the kings around in these we'll call them as they are, Philistine kings come to him and they say, hey, you got to get away from us because you're becoming too powerful. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a wellspring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen. That sounds familiar. That happened in the life of Abraham. Except it was with Lot, where the herdsmen start fighting over a well. And the, these herdsmen said, the water is ours. So Isaac calls the name Isek because they contended with him. They dug another well. And they quarrel over that one also, so he calls it Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth, which interprets, for now the Lord has made room, or the Lord made room for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land. Look at this in real time and start to wrap your brain around you will be a blessing to all nations is being accomplished through the life of Isaac. Because they, they dug these wells and the Philistines filled them in and he starts to open them back up. And, and he doesn't stay there at the wells he opened up. He says, we open them up, use them. Use them, be blessed by this. He goes and he redigs these wells and they, he digs new wells and they come argue and say, no, that's ours. We have the water rights. He says, fine, use them. And he keeps moving and he keeps providing for the nations around him. If you remember the opening verses, God came and said, this was the mission. I told your father Abraham I was going to bless all nations through you. And what do we see by the time we're done with this story? That very promise being fulfilled. And it's the work and the ministry of His Son. The nations are coming out and they're starting to see God's blessing. I wish we'd grab this in our culture. We don't trust the process enough. We don't trust in forgiveness. We don't trust in selfish, selflessness. We don't believe that truly, actually being selfless would actually move the kingdom of God forward. Here in the story of Abraham and Isaac, over the course of two generations, two generations, see, we want to see it now. We're conditioned by this world that we want to see immediate results. But God's process takes time. And the mission of God takes time. Man, would I love to walk in and every seat and every pew be full and we had people in an overflow in the back. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But that takes time. 
they're blessing the nations around them and people that don't even know him are calling on the names of their God. Abraham's servant, who'd been with him all along the way, figured out that God is exactly who he said he was. God is exactly who Abraham said he was. The people in the story have all seen that God is good and working, something that we need to learn in our own life. The world, in Abraham's time, the world in our time, will keep trying to fill in and bury the wells that Christianity has dug. The wells that you have dug. So it's up to the man of God. And the man of God, I want you to understand, is a general neutral term. The man and woman of God. To go and to reopen the wells. Reopen them. Maybe reopening the well is simply being the one person who's not a jerk to the waitress on a Sunday meal when they mess up your order because they're busy. Maybe you're the person who's not a jerk because they messed up your coffee when you go get a coffee order. Maybe when they're trying to rip you off, you don't lose your cool. When they're just being stupid. Teachers, that one's for you. It's survival right now, I get it. But maybe you're called to reopen their wells. Maybe you're called to revisit some of the wells that your parents dug. And I'm not talking go dig in the ground. I'm talking the foundation they laid spiritually. Are you digging wells or are you filling them in? Are you leaving them full of dirt when you should be digging? God's called us to be Isaac, to, to go and to redig. And, and when we're not, we redig and, and we're not accepted, we're just openly rejected by the world, go dig a new well. Go dig someplace you haven't dug before. Man, go in places, yeah. Go some places that you haven't gone before and dig some wells and be a blessing there. The second generation in the mission is Isaac. And you'll see if you continue in the chapter that he, he has struggles too. He's not perfect. You're not going to be perfect, but are you going to be on mission? And the mission was be a blessing to all nations. Be a generous people. Be a hospitable people. Be a people who love people like God loves them. And... We could spend a long time on that alone. But that's the question. What are you doing with wells? Are you redigging out the dirt the world threw in them? Are you filling them in? I'll be honest, I've filled some in this week. Or are you digging new wells to bless the world around you?